Hello all and welcome to the next episode of Voice of Crypto and today I have a very special guest uh, Charlie here. Charlie is the founder of Athena Labs and uh, as I was talking to him on just before starting this podcast Athena Labs is one of the fastest growing web3 digital agencies in UK and they are number 2 so welcome Charlie on the show. Hi thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Great Charlie so Charlie why don't you quickly just tell about yourself and your journey and uh, you know what you used to do before athena labs how you got into athena labs and usually uh, what i what i tell all my guests here is uh, i prefer putting bollywood masala so when i say masala means lot of stories in in within the conversation so please feel free to add stories and your how your journey till now sure uh, thanks i really appreciate that so yeah i grew up in south london um and then i went to university up in durham so i'm 20 26 i just turned 26 for context so i think for me you know i i tend to start with university i guess cuz i'm a bit younger um and and it's kind of relevant as well as a university i started my first business so i remember applying for 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 jobs in like you know law and finance you know what you were kind of supposed to do yeah you know, what a lot of my friends and uh, family do these kind of traditional professions and i wasn't getting any um interviews or getting any internships or anything um and then i basically started throwing like club nights so this is actually a bit of a cliche because um i was chatting to another marketing agency founder um harry who also used to run club nights and then i kind of looked at like a meme that was like why are all these people who used to run club nights like running uh like marketing crypto now and the meme was like oh i can get you on the guest list for ethereum and it like kind of triggered me because i've been at periods where i've been out kind of networking and i've met other agency founders and crypto marketers and like half of us are x events managers so there is like definitely something to the connection between the two um you know really something there but yeah my first business was called uh, rotate and it was an events brand up in durham uh, so in north london in newcastle and that went really well i think we grew the team to about 5 or 6 of us and we became one of the biggest kind of brands in the city um and then obviously i i got to a certain age and i was like oh, i can't just keep pretending i'm a student and and running these kind of parties so i i moved down to london and i got my first job in london in a digital marketing agency and then 2 weeks later covid hit and i got laid off uh <laughs> so uh, they actually hired me back um and i got put on furlough and and that was the point i was like well i've got an opportunity here because i know i'm entrepreneurial i built a business before and i know i'm interested in digital marketing but i've got however long i'm on this furlough to basically sit there and learn skills so what i did was i learned web development i learned to build websites through webflow which is a tool i like to use i studied advertising design copywriting you know the works i've read endless books on marketing and and i think during that period that was when i'd say the most substantial kind of base level of my abilities as a marketer were formed uh like core competency technical skills understanding how to use automation the analysis this kind of like technical growth marketing like skill sets that that are required if you i think want to be one of the best in the game um so fr- from from that i got a job at an ai startup um and that was where i had my first experience working with my co-founder comrad so he was at wpp uh which is the biggest marketing agency in the world it's a conglomerate and i somehow managed to convince him to quit his job in like what is probably the most prestigious marketing organization in the world to come and work at this uh really early stage ai startup with me 
And we, we did that for a while and that did really well. They won like an Innovate UK grant and that was you know doing quite well. And then that was when we kind of moved into crypto. So that was about a year and a half ago. Um, and we've been selling NFTs quite a lot and we got quite involved with a few NFT projects um, that did quite well. And that was, yeah, my first experience kind of doing some mints and marketing, some NFT projects, just supporting those projects with their marketing. Um, and that was, yeah, my first crypto project. I think now, like, sort of peripherally to that, I have had a kind of political career, uh, political uh, marketing, political uh, PR career. So about, oh, yeah, I forgot I had sort of a few intermediary jobs in tech between the two, but, yeah, I don't want to spend ages talking about it. I ran growth for a big cybersecurity firm for about sure. six months, um, which was also you know, quite good. I wanted to get a bit of experience in a large organization. So I, I ran growth for six months for a cybersecurity firm after the AI startup, but prior mm. to uh, working with my co-founder. Um, and that was my first experience working with sort of higher ticket deals, like, you know, you know, 200, 300, 400 grand cybersecurity software packages for like, you know, banks. Um, okay. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that was problem marketing. Um, where am I? It's been kind of meandering. Um, it was about that time, actually, I got into listening to a guy called Chris Walker, who I might touch on later, who's probably my favorite marketer to listen to. Mm. Um, I actually basically had been going on his podcast during this period where I was um, um, uh, on furlough. I've been going to his podcast over and over again. Um, and then while I was in this AI startup, I was still on this podcast. And after I'd left the AI startup, a CMO of this cybersecurity firm, which is a big company, had been listening to me and heard me on the podcast. And she reached out on LinkedIn one day and was like, I want you to come and work for me. Because <laughs> they were working with the agency that had made the podcast. And I'd been on the podcast. And I think they were just like, this guy's great. Let's bring him on. And that was all about demand gen marketing, um, which is something I can get into a bit later. Anyway, okay. Peripherally, sort of all of this sort of tech and that kind of stuff prior to getting into crypto, I'd, I'd done political marketing as well. So me and my co-founder had done a lot of work on the Scottish election and then um, done a lot of like political PR. So I can't really go into it too much, but it's when like organizations are trying to kind of influence public opinion and engage politicians. Um, now, a lot, a lot of the abilities in that were basically, can you copyright? Can you understand the narratives? Can you form narratives? But also, can you implement technically? Can you build websites very quickly, implement like complicated operational systems that process a lot of data and carry a lot of automation? So there was this kind of opportunity I saw, which was that a, a well-motivated technical marketer uh, in a political space could make a lot of progress in their career very quickly because the political marketing had been dominated by very traditional newspaper-based PR-type people for basically decades. Um, and when they had kind of got people in to build websites or do digital campaigns, there was this kind of belief that it would cost hundreds of thousands of pounds and take months and months and months to do anything. And they got sort of two 25 year olds sitting there who could come in cold and rebuild a website and deploy a campaign in like a week, mm -hmm. less sometimes. And I think that really surprised people. And that, let's say, delivered a lot of opportunity for us because it made us a very, very you know, a, a, a appealing um, agency to work with for these kind of political clients. Um, and, and I think what is true of that kind of work is also very, very true of, uh, of crypto. Um, sorry, yeah, I've gone a bit of a meander there, but um, I think that the, the core kind of takeaway is a round events business, went into tech, um, 
who's been doing political work kind of consistently and then and then moved into crypto about a year and a half uh, right. ago yeah right so from from bank security to completely crypto how how the journey has has been uh, i mean obviously they they two are banks are considered as is completely anti crypto so uh, what what mm. shift do you see see between both the industries uh, culturally because you have worked in both the industries yeah well i was in cyber security so they 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 sold cyber security software to a lot of different organizations some of which were banks understood uh, Okay. But it, it wasn't the same as working banking. Yeah, it was definitely an environment, even the cybersecurity firm, as crypto was seen as this fraudulent thing. And um, we did a lot of uh, sort of like content creation and thought leadership based around the actual issues of crypto being like an exacerbating force uh, mm-hmm. that was antagonistic towards cybersecurity. So I can kind of run through that 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 briefly. The, the issue you've got is traditionally you would have hackers who go and try and carry out hacks and, you know, they try and get paid, but it was all very traceable. And obviously with cryptocurrency, that was an ability for people to take or get paid through ransomware attacks, large amounts of money in cryptocurrency and sort of keep it there and move it around and, and try and launder it essentially. But that's not actually the, the main issue that crypto created kind of systemically for the security industry. The issue is that with dark web interactions, you could create smart contracts so people could actually trade and interact and create dark marketplaces. Now, the issue of that is, is basically what will happen is people will go and create hacking software and sell it on dark web markets to hackers. So a lot of the time, I believe, when you hear about hackers carrying out hacks, as often as not, they're using software they bought to then go and do ransomware attacks and get paid more money in crypto, which they then put back in to buy more software. So what's happened is you've got this like cybersecurity kind of white hat industry, which are pouring billions and billions and billions, I mean, trillions, you know, soon in, into, right, to build better defensive systems. But on the other side, you've got ransomware profits coming out and funneling into a dark market to create better attack software. So so crypto, I think, allowed the cybersecurity hacking communities to organize and to basically become marketplaces with specializations of labor where people create and sell illegal hacking software on the dark market and and that's like a completely different paradigm shift in the arms race so so basically the cybersecurity people didn't really like crypto um <laughs> but um you know what i've just said there is not a reflection of my own point of view so you know i think technology can be used in many different ways like the internet can be used for some terrible things right, right. you wouldn't say that the internet's fundamentally good or bad. Like it's right. a, a medium of communication and a medium of exchange can be used to communicate many different things and exchange many different things. Uh, and I don't think it makes sense to, uh, to, to, to to blame the medium for what people decide to do with it. Mm-hmm. Understood. That That's really interesting. Uh, I think that you spoke about Charlie, that it's, it's just a technology, how you use it. So coming to technology, uh, Everybody talks about Web 3.0, Web 3.1, and there are multiple definitions around Web 3.0. So, Charlie, what is your uh, simplest definition? So, let's say if, if you have to explain Web 3.0 to a five-year-old mm-hmm. kid, uh, how, how can you explain him or her in, in very simple ways? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, I think there, there are two ways of thinking about this, right? Two kind of narratives. Uh, you, know, you want to think about processing of information, mm. how and where information is processed. And then you want to think about control and power. Mm. Now, these two things interact, but 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 con- control and power and ownership 
and the actual technicalities of processing are the two kind of strands of thought here. So I mean, the first way to think about this is then obviously with Web1. So Web1 were like CDNs, like content uh, delivery networks. Basically, it meant someone could just take a server and put a bunch of information on it and someone could access that and look at it. So what, what would happen is like people would have their own servers. There was a time when people would have literal servers in their, in their bedroom, which was hosting their website, right? Um, and someone could visit that, mm -hmm. but the information they'd be seeing with the information that's being provided and created by the person who owns the server. So when processing moved from web one to web two, it moved a little bit in, in, through, through cloud, which meant anyone could bring up processors, but also in terms of like content, what you got was the, the starts of like user-generated content. So with, with UGC, instead of going to a website that's just got the thoughts of the person who owns the website, you could go to a social media website and post your own thoughts. So what this meant was while the website servers in Web2 were still owned by centralized entities, right? It was still Google and tech companies owning the websites. And in fact, there was more centralization there because what you saw was like with cloud computing, even though lots of people more and more were owning servers or renting them, sorry, they're renting them off a smaller, smaller number of like dominant companies. So actually what you got was basically Google with Google Cloud, Microsoft with Azure and Amazon being very dominant with AWS, basically owning like the internet, at least in, in the Western hemisphere, like the vast majority of it, right? In terms of the actual servers processing stuff. But if you look at the content, anyone could stand up a cloud server and start trying to host stuff on AWS. But then also, and obviously anyone could go to Facebook or Instagram and start producing their own content. So, so, so you know, the political master in me will talk about this massive transition between web one to web two in terms of the ownership of discourse. So, you know, tech companies might have owned the servers and, you know, large tech companies like Facebook might own the platforms, but people had this revolution in, in control over uh, the conversation over the information. So if you go back to like Tony Blair's period, his political kind of spin doctors are people like Alistair Campbell, who are very, very good at controlling news outlets. They'd, they're ex-journalists, they go to the news outlets and say, write this, write that. You know, that, that was what it was about during the kind of Web 1 period. It was still about newspaper journalism for, for political uh, you know, PR people, political strategists. And then with people, someone like Dominic Cummings in Brexit, he was like digital first, not interested in physical. We might do a bit of like obviously PR, but it's about controlling narratives online. It's about targeted advertising. And that was that was the shift that, that, that happened between web one and web two. It was suddenly like people were exchanging information peer to peer. And that was like what, what happened in the discourse. It wasn't just, we're gonna look at big authors and big publishers, but it was actually people owning the conversation themselves. But Web2 still had centralized tech companies controlling the servers. So while ownership of discourses had become decentralized, there was actually an increased centralization of processing towards big tech companies. Now we get to Web3, right? Mm -hmm. Now what happened to Web3, the primary difference, you want to sum it up very, very simply, is instead of running all the processing on centralized cloud servers that are in one place, which are just a literal box, you know, a room, a warehouse full of boxes that run all the computer programs essentially what you get is a computer program on the ethereum network that can execute over multiple devices so what that means is no one person controls it uh it, it's completely decentralized and spread around the, the, the processing it operates across many different devices with not one stakeholder uh being able to like own it and control it so that's the technical 
revolution that is that is web free it's block blockchain decentralization it's uh, like decentralized uh, ledger technology dlt um now what, what did that mean well it allowed people to create digital currencies because you couldn't have a digital currency on a centralized server because mm-hmm. someone could just go and add an extra couple of zeros behind their own number and suddenly you, you've got money coming out of nowhere and this was an issue with with governments doing this literally printing money with quantitative easing and i always think the two things are related because everyone was like well if governments are quantitative easing and affecting money supply like what is this and actually with something like bitcoin uh, and ethereum you had limited amounts of money supplies so you, you actually had a system where no one could add the extra zero people could create new currencies and market them but if you engaged in a currency it wasn't possible for people to mint more tokens given the the, the blockchain contract was structured in that manner like people can create contracts that allow them to do that but we obviously you know people people looking at ethereum and, and bitcoin saw these you know, finite finite limits on the number of tokens and the circulation that was that was super super important and that was not possible until decentralized ledger technology because mm-hmm. the, the fact that the code was decentralized and spread around meant someone had to control a critical mass of nodes to, to do that to actually um uh, you know affect that kind of change into it so so it meant it was trustless basically like you know and this is where uh peer-to-peer interactions come in but two people can have an interaction without needing to trust each other like if, if i say oh i'm i want to buy a can of pepsi off you you know i give you five pounds i've got to trust you to give me the can of pepsi and not run away right Brilliant. yeah what we can do is have a middleman and i go to someone and say hey and um, I give him five pounds and you give him the Pepsi and then he switches it around, right? He's going to take a cut for that, okay? So but he could also run away with both. Or he could run away <laughs> both. Exactly, exactly right, exactly right. Um, so yeah, again, covering quite a lot there. But um, yeah, okay, then I want to talk about, that was the kind of decentralization phenomenon, but we kind of got onto that, which is the power and control phenomenon, which is that, you know, now that you don't need middlemen and you don't have centralized entities controlling the processing, Right, you 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 fundamentally change the power dynamics across a huge number of different features of human life and human society and you know, human economic structure. Um, um, okay, and I and I think the final concept there I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about is the idea of digital ownership because before I you know, got involved into crypto, I looked at NFTs and it just it just didn't it fundamentally didn't occur to me how people would pay money for an image that we right clicked and saved by someone else and like i'm not going to sit here and try and like convince anyone listening that nfts have value because this is a purely subjective thing it's like what i think is going to happen is as time passes more and more people will wake up one day and just suddenly be like oh i deem this as as, as valuable i deem this is worth something like it, it, it is a statistical trend every day and more people start to believe in digital ownership but that's huge and that's the kind of bedrock of, of the metaverse there, which is a, in an abstract way, valuing digital experiences and digital um, objects. So if you can go into a digital metaverse environment and have an enjoyable experience there, you know, you're valuing that environment, but actually to go and hold like a, an NFT and be like, I genuinely value that NFT at this price. I'm not going to sell it there. That that's huge. That that's like massive. That's like if you watch Ready Player One, it's a great movie about the metaverse, basically Steven Spielberg, I think. And 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 you know, everyone in this world is obsessed with like collecting 
essentially digital game items and like leveling up their skill trees. And I was a gamer when I was younger and I got super into this. But what you're seeing is increasingly like people will like put real money behind digital collectibles, digital ownership, digital experiences. Um, and that's part of a broader cultural revolution that's going on. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's going to, you know, really, really change society. Uh, not, I don't know if for the better or for the worse. I can see a lot of dystopian parts of it, but um, but, but the ability to feel, make people value digital ownership uh, is what's really important, and that's what NFTs are fundamentally about. You know, I, I think the technology is cool and interesting, but it's not the technology behind NFTs that's like right. fundamentally revolutionary. It's the, the concept of value that's been realized in society through the kind of broader movement. Um, and I think you do need to like look at those two things slightly separately to understand where progress is being driven. Um, right, right. Amazing conversations happening with uh, here, guys. And what 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 we need to understand is is as Charlie simply simplified the things for us that how the transition from web one to web two to web three is happening and how a, a fundamentally cultural shift is happening across the geographies, which is not dependent on any geography or where or at what class you are it is happening across the the, the the world so so charlie i mean everybody talks about uh web3 uh you know everybody talks about the good part about web3 now you work with a lot of uh, development companies as well you you work with a lot of uh, brands so tell me what are some of the technical difficulties or the challenges which which web3 companies face both from a development as well as a marketing perspective? Well, I think from a development standpoint, I'd, I'd be reluctant to kind of speak too much as to that as I'm not a you know, technical uh, expert. Um, in terms of like, I mean, I, I can give you some examples. I had a friend of mine who, um, I won't you know, name names or name the company, but they were developing like uh, payments infrastructure through mm -hmm. some developers out in Ukraine. Um, and the guys finished the contract and deployed it. And he was he sent about four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars worth of Ethereum into the uh, into the wallet to like put liquidity onto the uh, contract so they could carry out token exchanges. Mm -hmm. And then they went to try and remove some, as it was like a liquidity providing function, and it was just stuck there. They went back to the devs and they were like, "Yeah, we've basically built a like wallet that you can't take anything out of, and all of the funds are stuck there." And he's now just got essentially half a million quid sitting in a wallet he can't access. Like, and he's got other devs to look at it. They've had a go. It's not like he's lost the keys. It's like it's just brick. It's just sitting there. It is. It is literally like <laughs> it's just gone. Wow. So I mean, that's definitely an issue that developers face. You know, which is that when you're not um, having issues like that, and it's not like the devs stole the funds. Like they're still sitting in the wallet, it's yeah. <laughs> and no one can access it. And there's a huge amount of cryptocurrency that's just lost like that. It's just sitting there. And that's a big issue because the, the infrastructure is really, really early. And yeah. data is going to get lost. Like, you know, it, when people build transatlantic cables to allow people to have the first telephone calls between America and the UK, I'm sure there were some blackouts when the line cut out, <laughs> you know, like. That's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, of, yeah. of course. Um, so, so that, that's a real problem. And, and hacking is a huge issue as well. A lot of projects got hacked. Um, didn't um, Binance just get hacked as well? Yes, now? Right. I mean, this is huge. They were the biggest guys out there and they've got hacked. And that goes back to the conversation I was having earlier about the cybersecurity issues and stuff. But I mean, you know, 
by accident or from external you know malice there are huge risks to 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 operating in this space just in terms of like avoiding technical compliance losing money getting robbed yeah so 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 that that's the first thing i'd say is just like the core of any good blockchain project is really competent engineers who don't mm -hmm. screw up basically and those are you know hard to come by and it's very easy to make mistakes and you only need to make one mistake or have one vulnerability yeah. to, to, to get hit so you can get it right every single time for five years and then and then you deploy one instance of code with one vulnerability on it and someone's going to exploit that um okay um in terms of marketing ah it's really interesting so I mean, the first thing to say, the big difference here is people can't run ads uh, easily. You know, there, there are there are ways around this and stuff and like various different solutions you can explore. But like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to run LinkedIn ads on LinkedIn for my marketing services and it's got web free in it. And they're like, no, you can't do that. You're selling cryptocurrency. And I'm like, I'm not like, you know, I speak to people who run crypto accounting firms and and they're like, oh, you're marketing cryptocurrency. And they're like, but you're saying I'm non-compliant with financial regulations, but my service is to deliver compliance with financial regulations <laughs> and you're banning me from running ads. Yeah. I mean, that is just beyond the pale of ludicrous because they're saying to stop cryptocurrency being a problem and you know, being a deregulated bad land, we're going to ban ads. And they're banning the people who are doing compliance services. It's like, um, you know, so, so it, 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 one thing to watch is, you know, whatever on earth happens with Musk's uh, uh, deal with Twitter. I mean, that is just, you know, you've really got to get the popcorn out and, and enjoy watching that one. It's just amazing. <laughs> but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he introduces hopefully some kind of uh, revision on those rules, which is to say, like, if you're a service-based project, you know, if you have, like, registered the business in a jurisdiction that's allows your law to like allows you legally to provide your services you know if you're targeting the ads into jurisdictions that allow it and there's a lot of money for twitter to be made but like, twitter is like he, he's saying oh i think i can free x the advertising revenue of twitter i'm thinking free x you could like oh, you can exit by yeah. allowing crypto ads i mean it's just insane so i definitely think um that could be a big a big change going on but that's as i said like that's a big a big issue there which is that what normally will happen is people will pay for ads to right. reach their audiences. You know, I mean, any, any, any brand really, apart from Tesla somehow, um, will, will, will run ads. Yeah, most of them will, but it, if you can't in crypto, that creates a huge risk because a huge issue, sorry, which is that whereas with ads, you can just turn the tap on and start reaching a small number of customers. I mean, you can put on, you know, 10, 15 pounds a day on some ads on Google right. search or what Facebook and just have, you know, maybe 20, 30, 100 people coming to your website, you know, a couple of them booking meetings a week, right? You, you, you can turn that tap on normally at a very low level and then kind of scale your business up. You know, with, with crypto, you, you can't, you have to scale organically. Um, and, and that's really difficult because scaling and building organic audiences in any industry, let alone in something as kind of diverse and new and technically complex as crypto, is really difficult it's, yeah. it's 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 genuinely really really hard to do um a lot of time as well it i mean you cannot predict how much time will you take to reach that number of people organically yeah exactly so, so i think a lot of the time 
uh, when I meet you know, marketers who are running companies who don't have as much Web3 experience, they're not like, oh, we need you to like help, you know, take our strategy from here to here. You know, they come in and they're like, we literally have no idea how to do this. Um, and, and then you come in and start implementing these strategies and they're really, really impressed because a lot of them are, are, are very, very different. So yeah, take for example, community, like community is such an integral part of, of web free marketing. In fact, uh, you know, tokens, NFT projects, or even tooling projects, you know, blockchain tooling projects, people would like to go, or like lending protocols, right? People would like to go in their Discord and see activity and chat and get a sense of community. Um, they like them to be active on Twitter and have a big Twitter audience. You know, even if these aren't acquisition channels, even if you could add funds your way to reach, right? People still want to look in and see those things before they buy them, before they engage the product or service. It's now like part of the standard investor vetting process. Um, so a lot of people we chat to and we work with, they're not, not a majority, but, but some of them for sure, uh, are like so early on, they're like still going through you know, secondary and tertiary funding rounds uh, to build product. But the VCs want to see community and brand engagement before they'll do a, a substantial seed. So they have to do a pre-seed um, and then obviously build the product out, but actually get community engagement and traction on Twitter before they'll actually have then get a, a major kind of seed check of like, you know, a mill or a couple of mil from the VCs, yeah. uh, which is pretty insane. Because if you think about like in AI, for example, someone's building like a very, very complicated machine learning product. People don't go like, oh, build like a team of cheerleaders around your you know, natural language processing algorithm. Like, you know, no one's sitting there asking um, data analysis or fintech products to have gaming Discord communities, essentially, right. of people going like, love this, love that, doing polls and everything. It's, it, it, it's, so, it's so different. Um, so so that, 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 that's, a, that's a huge problem. And, and I think finally, one of the core issues on that is not only dealing with communities, sorry, building communities, but actually knowing how to manage them. So I remember on one of my first projects, we got our first bit of FUD. I remember it like it was just yesterday, my first FUD. And some guy, if you excuse my French, been a dick, had like come into the Discord and just started chatting shit, basically. He was just like, he was just, I, I don't know how to describe it. Like he was just being an absolute knob. He was just like trying to cause an argument and just like making stuff up and being like, I've read your white paper, it's full of lies. And I was like, which part of the white paper? You know, and he's like, Ah, I'm not going to speak to Teach you. Teach them what XYZ. Yeah, he's just, he's just he's just saying anything. Yeah. yeah. And 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 my natural reaction, you know, back then was like, well, do we need to ban this guy? What do we do? Blah blah. And this sort of more native marketer I've worked with was like, no, 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 no. If you ban a single person in your Discord, everyone's going to be like, these guys are fake. These guys are like pajit was the term back then. Like, you know, we can't trust them. And what we did was we chatted to him one-on-one -on -one. we answered all his questions we explained it all you know we engaged with him and after a while i think the guy was like, actually these people are pretty serious it's a good project it's got legs and he went from being our biggest kind of critique at that point to being like one of our biggest like cheerleaders and, wow. and that was a bit of a wow moment for me and that's a like, success story of a marketer <laughs> yeah of course a community manager right you know yeah. I, community community management i think it obviously overlaps with marketing but i'd, yeah. I'd say if you think about community management as just a function of marketing, um, you're not going to do great community management. Whereas right. it, 
there's a principle called obliquity. Uh, some guy called John Kay wrote a book on this. And the, basically the, 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 the premise was like, your goals are best achieved indirectly. It's one of the best books I ever read, my economics teacher when I was at school. You know, this is not university. I didn't study economics, I studied you know, philosophy and politics. But um, I wasn't good at maths, you know, econ. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was like, read his book. And it, and it said, your goal was about to achieve indirectly. So if you're a hairdresser looking to profit maximize on haircuts, if, you, if you're trying to profit maximize, you want to get people in, cut the hair as quickly as possible, charge as much money and get them out the door, you know. But like, no one's want, going to want to get their hair cut there. But mm. if, if you come in and just try and deliver the best customer service and make this person feel amazing and like, you know, do a really, really good job, right? And you just focus on that. Yeah. You're going to make way more money than someone who's just focusing on kind of short-term margins. Yes. So in, in the context of community management, like if you're constantly looking at the community as a means to achieve, like, you know, your, your financial goals, you're probably not going to invest in it properly. And you're probably just not going to run it properly. Like at many points when we're doing community management, you almost forget we're sitting there building businesses and you just feel like you're chatting to a group of people you really connect with who share this kind of passion. And that feels like the end goal is to just engage these people and have fun and just like interact around something. And that's that's what it looks like when you're doing community management right. right. Um, so you see people coming in like trying to do crypto marketing or crypto community building like they would do crypto, uh, sorry, business marketing in B2B SaaS or finance never going to succeed again the closest thing to it for me was when i was an events manager and i was trying to build students around like different types of music and then start to market those events i do like you know a french speaking night where i got all the french people in the university to come to french night and play french music or i do one on drum and bass or one that was like halloween themed right but but you, you were trying to take different sort of subgroups and create like a real community and then bring them all together um and that's far close to what crypto marketing is about than uh, you know what you'd see in uh, you know, more traditional tech marketing fields. Right, right. So, so Charlie, I mean, since you spoke about marketing from from a Web three perspective, you you run your own digital marketing agency in Web three. Uh, how do you approach projects? That is question number one. And for budding marketers who want to get into Web three space, what would be your top three tips for for them? Top three tips. Okay, sure. So, so when you say how do I approach projects, do you mean like like how do I like win clients or how do no, I? So if if somebody comes to you uh, as okay. a project, how do you strategize for their marketing? Because as you rightly said, I mean it is easy to scale up in Web two because you can just simply burn money and scale it up, but it is very mm. difficult to do Web three. So how do you? What is your approach towards them? Yeah. Well, I tell you what. A month ago or two months ago, I'd start listing off a bunch of explanations as to how I'd approach it and how I develop a strategy. But the first thing I do now is basically get get my team of marketers in front of it and start chatting it through with them and then listen to my team very, very carefully. So I think you know, as, as a leader here, and this speaks to a broader point about web free marketing, like if I think I'm the best at everything in my business, I have to have the right people in my team. So, you know, while I carry a lot of the strategy myself, my co-founder is a head of client services um, and we have like specific guys in charge of community management, um, influencer strategy, um, accounts management, uh, advertising, content writing, right? So, you know, I will have the conversations with those relevant 
experts in our team and, and, and I'll listen to them because they're all web free native. So they really know the audiences and how, how those kind of functions are carried out. Um, so that's, that's the kind of first thing I do, um, which I guess isn't helpful to someone who doesn't run a digital marketing agency. So I guess go, going a bit lower, like you want to, you want to start off by doing a, a, like a positioning and, and this is the same with any, any bit of marketing. You want to think positioning uh, sort of analysis. So you want to go, what's the company? Like, what's it trying to do? What's it about? You know, what's it's like USP is unique selling points, right? Uh, we, had, we had a client that was doing a sort of NFT analytics platform. And I realized they're being very focused around kind of user experience and other platforms are much harder to use. And then mm -hmm. I was like, great. Like, um, God, what was the phrasing I came up with? We, I can't say actually because I haven't deployed it yet. <laughs> Sorry, I realized. But, um, but, but we really repositioned them in a way that was differentiating them from the competitors. Um, and then once you have that kind of kernel, that kind of thread of what makes this brand different, you then want to try and run that down for everything you're doing and, and distribute that and sort of communicate that to the audiences in a number of different ways. So early on in the project's completely from scratch. So you just start posting on Twitter. Uh, let's run the assumption you're leading on Twitter. The vast majority of our projects are Twitter-led, just mm -hmm. where web free marketing tends to occur. Um, you, um, you want to start posting content out there, but you're not going to get much reach. So a good way to start is by kind of doing like a thread being like, here's what we're doing, make a video explaining the positioning and then put a bit of influencer behind it, behind it and probably put a giveaway on it um, just to start boosting some traction. And then you want to start running out some like expert threads. Uh, we have like a mega thread strategy. So I'll give you a really good example of this. We're doing a project of, a, of this big uh, carbon uh, blockchain project. And at that point, there were loads of blockchain carbon projects. A lot of them have, some of them have now kind of pivoted and moved away. For example, Adam Newman, the founder of WeWork, right. kind of came out and raised a ridiculous amount of money to compete with us. And we were like, Ooh. but then he actually just completely screwed up again. So we were like, lol, uh, <laughs> beat Adam Newman. Um, <laughs> being, but, uh, being Adam Newman. <laughs> Beat, I, we beat him in a sense like we we we, we got much more market penetration than he did oh, yeah. um yeah but I, I think that that's not really a boast because that guy just kind of leaves him on his own and he'll like screw things up for himself i think <laughs> <laughs> but um but um but yeah but we're doing these mega threads so we're like we're going to write a thread looking at each project that, that's in the carbon blockchain space one by one and there were like dozens of them dozens of them and that's a lot of researching like right. yeah, people know when you're writing crap content when you're writing good content someone's gone and read all of the company's blogs you know looked through their social media feed right. you know, looked at their founder and saw he was on a podcast a month ago and gone and listened to that podcast right you actually right. actually researched it and then you write a really really good thread hopefully some original insights in it and that's just one standalone piece of content in a thread which goes you know let's look at this project let's dive in but then you do one after the other after the other. And then at the end, people will start noticing that you're putting these threads out. At the end, you do like a mega thread, which is a thread that ties together all the threads underneath. And Twitter, you know, it seems to just absolutely love this kind of content. Um, and one thing to remember is people really look at vanity metrics in Twitter. Like you could write a really good thread and get like 100 likes. And they're like, oh, it's good. We've got 100 likes. It's like, yeah, but you might have had 7,000 people read that. Mm. Who, you know, some people on Twitter just don't like anything. There are people who like stuff. So you post meme stuff and funny stuff, you'll get likes. Yeah. But the people who are serious investors who are doing analysis, some of them are like, like don't like anything ever. Yes, so yes. weirdly, yeah. the more, yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, so, so, so yeah, I do the Twitter thread strategies. 
and then you want to do some kind of discord engagement so like get people into your discord do some kind of like interactive like thing in there that, that they can enjoy so that's like a very basic kind of mvp strategy um you know, if anyone is listening and wants to kind of find out more um we're launching this kind of athena academy so if you add me on linkedin drop me a message uh, i can't do this with everyone i sort of take a look at where who we can actually help the most but we can do a kind of little free consultancy where we like write a small strategy uh for, for, for some brands and we try and record those just so we can like use that content um so you're listening to this and you think that's helpful do have me on linkedin and chat to me um okay yeah and lastly i think you was asking about getting into web free marketing like tips on that um i did a really interesting talk on this specifically at an event and i made kind of like i was supposed to do 10 points i got to nine i'll, I'll wow. read the nine out and then i'll just say my favorite three First one was become a crypto native. Second one was unleash your inner degen. The third one was build your network. The fourth one was fail at something. The fifth one was uh, you know, do some Discord moderation, get involved with the Discords. The sixth one was memes are key. Yeah. Okay. I think it was originally be a, become a meme lord, but one of my guys was like, yeah, we're not saying that. <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm saying it, become a meme lord. Um, right, my seven uh, is like, I say wallet addresses here, but I think like understand how wallet addresses work in relation to like email addresses. I can maybe elaborate on that. Eight, practice copywriting. And nine is learn the tools. And I think I meant on that, like your marketing software tools, like Google ads, um, if not web development, like learn how to use a CRM, learn how to do reporting, learn how to use Hootsuite or Buffer, like right. you know, at least know how to go into Twitter and look at Twitter analysis. Uh, Okay, so which one? I think, yeah, let's start with learning the tools. I mean, you pick a few things and learn them. So like, if you want to work in Web3, people using Twitter, like learn how to do a performance report on a Twitter account. Like crypto people don't tend to be super like crazy on reporting like upper industries, but you have to report, otherwise you don't know what's going on, right? So if someone was, so someone was messaging on LinkedIn and was like, I can do a killer Twitter performance report, right? I'd be like, great, like bring you on as an intern. Let's just see you not one together. Never has anyone come to me and said that. And it, it, right. I, I hope when the day comes, I'm just immediately hire the person because because everyone's like, oh, I'm this and that. I went to this university and they don't think what does Charlie want? Charlie doesn't want to be sitting there doing endless client reporting on Twitter. Right. And if I've got someone who's actually good at that, that's great. So that, 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 that's that, learn the tooling. You know, if, if you're looking at a company that's working heavily using Twitter marketing, learn Twitter analysis. Mm. Um, or you know, if they're doing design, learn Canva. Canva is probably one of the top ones. And learn design on social media assets on Canva. Right. Because I could just write some stuff and just be like, take the logo, put some text, put it in a quote. And, and if someone can put that together and make it look nice, that's great. Because what they can do is take the Canva graphic and post it on Twitter. Right. And they can go into the Twitter analytics and tell me how well it did yeah. and that that's like i think that's pretty much your mvp yeah. on design that. and analytics together correct <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but i mean more broadly like if i had to choose between like tooling and intuition marketing intuition i go with marketing intuition every time and what i mean by that is like and this is what i'd say is number one then is like become crypto native um um what i mean by that is like you can be on the kind of outside looking in, trying to understand it. Um, but that's never going to be a substitute for being someone who's like genuinely part of that community, part of that kind of scene. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know the difference between when someone's at a gig listening to a band that they're a fan of 
and someone's there who's just like listening to the band for the first time. There's nothing wrong with that. Like everyone listened to a band for the first time. Right. But then someone goes, I love that band. They're like, what's your favorite album? And they go, oh, I don't know, like this album or that album. Then you ask another person, they're like, oh, and they just name like the most recent album. And it's right. pretty obvious, like just immediately who's super into like that band. Because right. they've just named like the album they did 10 years ago and like an obscure track on it and just started talking about the drum sampling on it right that's the level of expertise that comes from passion um you know continuing that analogy buying a t-shirt and listening to the most recent album of a band isn't really going to convince anyone in a serious conversation that you're a fan of that band but not to mention and it sounds a bit abstract but like imagine in the sense someone's dancing to music they actually like you know they're going to dance probably a bit differently to someone who's just like hearing the song for the first time so so, so 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 that's what it comes down to of intuition is like if someone spent enough time on crypto twitter um you know in discords uh, speaking to other people who, who work in the space who are into the space um they're not just like trying to performatively copy or replicate the language that these audiences use that becomes how they normally speak uh, like how they normally write um so you can get to a point where your knowledge and your kind of writing and talking and thinking is like crypto native you're always going to be able to find work in this space always like always space in an organization like mine for, for someone who's actually got it and is actually crypto native um so yeah i think that combined with basic tooling um is pretty key and then i think the final one i've had to pick would be like practice copywriting because pretty much the only thing that matters in marketing at the end of the day, like the most important thing is, can you write? Do you know your audience? Can you write good content? Because good content that's written can be made into videos. It can be made into scripts for podcasts. It can be made into animated graphics and made into website copy, right? You can use it in email campaigns. Like no matter what bit of marketing is going on, it always starts with human language. Um, even if the end product is something that has no language, it's just visual. So. So definitely, definitely, definitely uh, write and practice writing. Um, yeah, and then go to someone and be like, I know crypto, I can write and I can do Twitter analysis and DM that to a web free marketer on LinkedIn. They're going to be like, no. <laughs> they don't. They go like, yeah, oh, yeah. I did my dissertation on like, you know, post-colonial literary critique or something. I'm like, I already went to university. Like, <laughs> Right, right. Amazing, amazing. So, yeah, I think uh, interesting conversation, uh, Charlie, and I think a lot of things to learn from you. Uh, as we come to the end of, of this podcast, uh, anything else which, which you would like to share with the audiences here, uh, your, ex your, you know, your experiences or anything, I mean, which, which you would, would like to talk to the audiences here? Yeah, I think just like we're still early. I think that's the main thing to remember here. Um, and that means you can become an expert in this space very quickly. So the main thing to remember is like everyone else who like pretends they're an expert and they know what's going on, they're, they're like bullshitting you. I, I really don't believe there can be genuine experts in Web3 beyond like a very small number of people because it's so early and it's changing so quickly. So, you know, I'm only a Web3 marketing expert for as long as I stay current and I know what's going on. But if I, if I went off for three months and didn't do any work, I'd no longer be an expert because this the context would have moved on you know, the social media context would have moved on and i no longer would be leading so you know if i can 
fall out of the loop in three months, you can get into the loop in three months. And and you know, someone who's at the top of their game and someone who knows nothing can be reversed in literally, uh, you know, a matter of months, in my opinion, in this space. Right, right. So, uh, Charlie, uh, if if the listeners and I, I think Charlie has been really uh, a very good uh, speaker on the podcast today, and he is also offered for a free consultation. I think that's that's what you spoke. If so, if if there are any NFT projects, if there are any projects who are looking to get into into this space and they are looking for a good marketer, I think definitely should get in touch. Thank you very much. Cheers. Yeah, great. Thank you.